Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who enjoys Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge comics, and I'm very excited to finally, finally get to talk about the first legendary appearance of Uncle Scrooge in his own comic book in the legendary story, Only a Poor Old Man. And I'm I'm also excited and delighted to be joined by a return guest um, who I, I've had had a great time talking with him. And I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself and mention who you are. Hi, Patrick Block, uh, Disney artist. Uh, over the last 30 years or so, I've done various comic stories for Gladstone and Gemstone and Igmont. And uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, thanks again, Patrick. Um, we got to talk uh, initially about The Trouble with Dimes, an uh, all-time mm-hmm. classic 10-pager. And, and you know, that one really complements this story very yes. well. Mm-hmm. I thought so, too. I thought it was, they're so different, you know. It's the, the dime story is so compact and pressed together. And this story is much longer and kind of like, you could tell the Carl had time to like uh, develop the characters and do a lot of rambling along more, more so than in the shorter story. So they yeah. are very complimentary. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're complimentary in a lot of ways. They're both legendary stories. Um, I, I got to tell you, so when I started this podcast, right, I, I imagined myself getting to talk about my favorite stories. I imagined myself getting to talk about milestone stories like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it was really important to me that the podcast have like a structure and that I really explore the bark stories chronologically and Mm -hmm. that meant doing it the right way starting with donald duck finds pirate gold and and um visiting some very nice but but not maybe not as classic stories you know like frozen gold for example early on which i i enjoyed but it's it's just not in the same league and um and eventually getting to this one but but I've had so much fun and it's it's felt like such a nice build up to get mm-hmm. to to some of these mm-hmm. legendary ones finally they don't get much more legendary than this one no you know, this is no, they, this is the story that there's so much in this impact into this story there's so much uh, what Uncle Scrooge is about like touches on almost all of his like myths you know all the things that are important about Scrooge are in this story in one way or another I think yeah yeah, very well said. This is like the essential Scrooge McDuck. And when I went into preparing for this one, you know, there were a couple of things that I was really thinking carefully about, right? Apart from mm-hmm. apart from just the pressure of wanting to get it right. Um, but mm-hmm. but I was thinking about that that moment, right, when the editors at Western Publishing must have approached Carl and and they must have asked him. They they did. They asked him specifically. This wasn't something that he submitted to them. Mm-hmm. They requested that he do a 32 pager for um for the one shot series and 
And the four color one shots are really notable because they are like a, a testing grounds for possible spinoff titles. And what mm -hmm. a big deal that must have been. I imagine he was very excited, Carl, at the time. I would think that he would, he would feel like he accomplished something with Scrooge. Scrooge is getting his own book. And you know, it was like his own character that he actually created, too. It was like the first time that Carl was being recognized as, you know, sort of having made that big step into like, uh, here's Uncle Scrooge. I've created him and here he's getting his own book. Yeah, exactly. That That's what I was thinking, right? Because that that's crucial that Uncle Scrooge is wholly his character. He's mm -hmm. been he's been working with Donald for years now at this point, right? Yep. Um, Pirate Gold was back in, was it was it 43, I think? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So he's been he's been working with Donald. He's had Scrooge as this side character in a number of stories. Um, and then and and they must have been realizing that the stories that prominently featured Scrooge had some really good sales. Yeah. So yep. And you can tell that, that Carl went all out on this one. You know, he just threw everything he had into it. It really shows. Yeah, you you definitely can. You can tell that he wanted to get it right, that he wanted to do mm -hmm. something special. Um and yep. Something really memorable, and yes. and boy, did he succeed! He certainly um, did. Uh, it's this is the one book that I remember. Uh, one story that I remember as a kid, exactly where I was at, what I was doing when I read this story, because of the because of I remember specifically the climax of the story when the uh, when the dam is full of termites and bursts, and you turn the page and there's that huge page of the the dam breaking. I was it was uh, I tried to remember like what issue when when exactly it would have been. And I remember it being a giant sized book, so it almost has to have been in 1965 when I was seven years old. That would, it was a giant sized book that year came out with it, this story in it. And I was at my grandmother's house. My parents were there, so it was probably on a Sunday because we eat dinner there every every Sunday, Sunday evening. TV was on. I was in the living room, sitting on the couch, reading the story. So it's like a very vivid, not too many comics that I can say that I remember where I was at when I was reading it. But this is like, you know, right up there with like, uh, with Armstrong landing on the moon and getting out. Yeah, this is like, I knew exactly where I was at that day. And in this particular instance, I remember exactly what I was doing when I read this story, which is something. That's a great <laughs> little remembrance. You know, I, as you said that, I can probably figure out about where I was, because this was in a collection for me the first time I read it. Mm -hmm. It was like a late 70s Donald Duck collection. And it was mm -hmm. um, it was a four row. The panels didn't match the the regular structure, you know, 10 of the classic stories. And that, that was the only was one. That that the was the white covered hardback, white covered mm -hmm. hardback book? Yeah, I remember that book. Yeah, I think of it as red covered. Because... Press, I think. Yes, that's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. I lost the white white sleeve many years ago um mm -hmm. so i think of it as red covered but yeah that's the yeah. one and and it has uh written inside it my aunt angie to to mark for his eighth birthday i believe so oh so we read it at about the same age <laughs> yeah exactly it was seven and it's definitely the one that you know stood out to me of those stories along with probably lost in the andes but yeah, it left it, it left this huge impact. And uh, you know, my my other my other little personal connection to this one is that the the beautiful reprint that I'm consulting right now from Uncle Scrooge Adventures number 33. I actually by happenstance was in the little uh, letters column for that oh, issue. Oh, okay, great. Uh -huh. So um, I know that your work would have appeared probably just a few issues later. Mm -hmm. And and that makes us practically, practically contemporaries in that same comic line. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's true. I guess yeah. there's a slight difference between being a, a 
a dorky teenager writing a letter to the editor, asking a, a random question about Flint Heart Blomgold, and, and actually having a story run in its pages. But, uh, but I'll take it. <laughs> So anyway, um, I'm going to dive into some of this background because we obviously have right. a lot to cover here. We do. Uh, it's a big story. It is. So February of 1952 is the original publication date, and it is in four color number 386. However, it is also considered to be Uncle Scrooge number one because mm -hmm. uh, officially it's part of the four color series. But I, I guess that the convention must have been if they did choose to spin off a title that they started to give it like retroactive numbering. So I think that Scrooge gets several more, more tries in the one-shot series uh, with like Back to the Klondike and the Horseradish story and, and Many Hooney Mystery. And I don't remember exactly where they started calling it and numbering it as Uncle Scrooge official. Yeah, I couldn't tell you either. This one has been reprinted so many times, Patrick. Mm -hmm. I, I saw 15 American ones, including the original, for, for obvious reasons. And, and this is a long one. It's a 32-pager, which is why we do want to hit the ground running. But there's there's a lot of good background. One of the things that is so fun to bring you on this show is I know that you got to talk to the man himself. You got to meet mm -hmm. and even work with Carl Barks. Yep. Um, did he ever mention anything specific about this one? Did he ever reference it that, you're, that you remember? The particular, this particular story? Mm -hmm. I never asked him anything specifically about the story. Right. Um, no, I don't think that I actually talked to him about this particular story. It, it, you know, it's like one of the stories that everybody knows a lot about it. Yeah. It's like it's been covered so much. So I tended to ask him about obscure things when I talked to him. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It, it would almost be a tell if you were asking him questions about that, that you're, that you're maybe not the world's biggest fan. Uh, there's one thing I can tie into this story that, that Carl, I didn't hear it from Carl, but I knew about it after he passed away. Uh, it turned up that there was a, uh, there was a screenplay, like, a, like something Carl that wrote for a screenplay based on Uncle Scrooge for Disney. It was an animated film project that he had proposed to Disney that they had said to go ahead and, to try and start developing. And it was based on this story, basically. It was basically a story about Uncle Scrooge and about followed a lot of the plot in this story. And uh, this would have been like uh, probably about 1960 or in that area somewhere. And at that time, the time that he developed it was the same exact time that Disney figured out that they could make a lot of money from uh, move, live action movies. So it got rejected because of the fact that Mary Poppins did so well, I think. Wow. And uh, I know that the I, I bid on the whenever Carl passed away and there was an auction, uh, a lot of his material came up uh, through a, a collector that was buying, that bought a lot of the material was auctioning it on eBay. I actually bid on the the screenplay and had like drawings and all kinds of cool cool stuff and i was like one of the underbidders but i didn't end up with it it's too bad because it would have been a wonderful thing to see published you know because it was like pretty extensive really deserved yeah. to, to appear in, in print oh yeah. absolutely maybe uh maybe it'll turn up one of these days as these uh, things. probably will it's inevitable probably that you know, yeah it's an interesting thing that's definitely you know, one of those what what could Carl have been animated film yeah you, you might guess that there'd be a, a decent number of quotes about this one right because this is one that 
Ben that he's so famous for, and it comes up frequently. I won't share every quote that I've compiled, but a couple of really interesting ones. You know, there was there was an interview where he talked about the process behind the genesis, behind the story. And he said mm-hmm. that they wrote a letter from the office and asked if I would do a 32-page Scrooge comic book. And I thought what little I had used Scrooge up to that time, he didn't have any foundation. Nobody mm-hmm. knew where he came from, although he had been Donald's uncle all these years. But what was his background? So I thought, well, I'll just work in a little bit about where he came from, how he accumulated his wealth, and how he's out to protect it. I had already invented the Beagle Boys at that time, and so I just turned loose on everything I could think of that would help develop Scrooge's character. He really covered a lot of ground. You know, a lot. Of, you know, there's so much about him being in the Klondike and making his fortune. But in this story, he touches on all kinds of stuff, the ways that he made money. He made money on the sea. He made money as a miner. He made money as a cat working on cattle cattle wars and uh, on the old frontier and the Klondike. So it's like his fortune was to a very, obviously he really got around when he was a young, when he was a young duck. <laughs> yeah. And everything that he mentions, you know, in that quote and, and in that, those little nuggets, um, mm-hmm. pun unintended, of information that he drops through the story. It's all stuff that fires the imagination so much. Mm-hmm. And it's what is going to make uh, the Scrooge story so exciting to the, the children yeah. reading it. And there's so much in here that he pulls later on in stories, you know, like like the number one dime isn't mentioned here, but there is a, a reference to his number one dollar, his number one first 50 cent piece, like in on the wall in, in the right. story. So, it's already like you know existence, the idea of there being his first dollar, his first half dollar, and that leads to his first time. Exactly. There's so much foundation in this story, and it's, and it's it. so good. And you know, other creators are gonna mine so much from this mm-hmm. later. Like like Don Rosa and his life and times. I mean, yep. half of that seems like it's built from um offhand references in this sure. one. And yep. and of this course is, this is the foundation for Scrooge, really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it also strikes me how all of those ways that he made his money, you know, they're like so American and they're so mm-hmm. like typical of kind of the American immigrant story almost, you know, mm-hmm. arriving in a cattle boat and and um, striking out for a gold rush. And, and yep. uh, it, it is the story of America. In and if you think ways. about it. Carl lived at that period of time. It was just after, you know, he was in the West and they had just settled the West. So he was right there at the end of like uh, all that exciting period of time. When he was a kid, that was all still you know, happening, which is yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. That's an important point because to me, this, this feels like such a West Coast story, mm-hmm. you know, a Western yeah. United States sure. story. And I, I think that's part of why, like as a, as a kid growing up in the California Bay Area, that's also part of why I identified. Not mm-hmm. that you have to be from from there to to get it, but I just I saw so much of that around me. Yeah. The thing about Carl's stories is all if you take all of his stories, you know, all of them together, they're really everywhere. They're like nowhere and everywhere at the same time. You know, it can I think that's one of the reasons he's so popular every all over the world. Like you can go to Europe or Scandinavia and everyone loves his stories because everything in the stories could take place anywhere. You know, one one story it'll be snowing like four feet of snow. And then the next story in the same town it's all tropical palm trees right it's like amazing you know and donald's backyard one in one uh 
episode, it'll be like a big lake behind his house. In the next one, there'll be like a cliff he could fall off of. The next one, there'll be like pine trees everywhere. You know, it's like, it's like in each story, Barks just put in there whatever he felt like. And it changed. But at the same time, it feels like it all makes sense. And it's like an impossible sort of juggling thing that Carl did with all of his work, which is always amazing to me that the fact that he could keep it, keep it so... Uh, artistic and like creative and yet grounded somehow with the characters it was just like you know very strange because most comic book artists don't do that yeah definitely he had this sort of alchemy about that the other quote that i'll mention before we launch in is just one that he was quoted in an interview in the 70s a guy named malcolm willits he asked Marks, if the office had asked him to make Scrooge more lovable for this, mm, for his That's spin-off. a good question. It yeah. is. It's a great question. And yeah. he responded, he said, no, I tried to do that myself. I kind of anticipated they would tell me that. So mm-hmm. you can tell in this story, I think it stands out that he is really trying to soften these edges. Like he's definitely mm-hmm. trying to keep what's made him interesting and what's made him entertaining. But he also really wants to go out of his way to make him relatable. And he does such an amazing job of that, that it's going to help he him does. carry carry a comic book for decades. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and Scrooge is an amazing character. It's, it's like uh, when... Carl created the character, you know, capitalism was like much more friendly situation than it is today, you know? Yeah. It's like uh, millionaires were like looked upon in like a more positive light than they are today. And things were, were probably millionaires weren't as far away from public as they are today, as far as like the difference in, in money between someone who is middle class and someone who's super rich. And somehow, you know, he, he managed to make Scrooge like relatable and funny and, and yet still super rich and, and get away with it. You know, as if somehow it was like, I don't know, it was like a friendly uncle, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, you're right. It's a great trick making it's uh, a trick. making a millionaire yeah. so lovable and so relatable. Yes. And you're right about the difference in attitudes. But I also, I think there were definitely times in the past where, you know, we've we've gone up and down with our attitudes That's as like the, the robber yeah. barons of yeah. the um, beginning of, the, of the 20th century yeah. weren't that far away. So no. re- regardless, it's an amazing trick he played. Um, I'm going to note that at this time, we have had 12 adventure-length stories um, Mm -hmm. that have featured Scrooge McDuck in some capacity. And I'm including Dangerous Disguise, where he is only referenced in a text box. He sent them there. Yeah. Yeah. And by my count, and I don't know the 10 pagers quite as well, but but my rough count was that there have been eight 10 pagers beforehand Mm -hmm. that featured him in some in some respect. And and that like ranged so wildly, Patrick, right? Because mm-hmm. we've had these like outright villainous characterizations, yes. like in Voodoo Hoodoo and his first um, appearance of Bear Mountain, he was pretty mean. Right. He was at least antagonistic. And, and then we've had these more like comedic or or relatable ones, like as early as the old castle secret mm-hmm. um, and letter to Santa. You know, we've had these more family-oriented ones like Christmas for Shacktown and Pixelated Parrots. So so it's just, it's ranged so widely. And now he's going to really hone in on what makes the character work. And he's never going to stray too far from this. You know, Scrooge is going to be a little crustier if he needs him to be in some later stories, a little bit softer 
One thing I like in this one is how mm-hmm. like reflective he is. And we're going to get yes, grades he is of that. Very, very much, very much so. I'm going to run very briefly through a couple of the titles from around the world because I like yep. doing that. Sure. I found it interesting, Patrick, that in Scandinavia, these all seem to have a kind of a variation on, on the title, The Cunning Uncle Scrooge, or The Quirky Uncle Scrooge. Mm. The, that first one was in Denmark, Finland, and Norway, and then The Quirky Uncle Scrooge in Sweden. And in Finland, that's Ovela Ropa Seta. In Denmark, that's Den Snedige Uncle Joachim. In Norway, it was Den Lura Uncle Scrooge. And then for the most part, in other countries, they really did give it a pretty direct translation, mm-hmm. which I, I was glad to see because this title itself feels so iconic to me. And it's yep. it's it's so poetic, that that little contradiction. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you've got like um, in, in French, juste en pauvre, vieil homme pauvre, which is actually just a poor old poor man. <laughs> and and in um, the, the only one that varied that I noticed was in Italy, it was Zio Paperone e la disfida dei dollari, Uncle Scrooge and the challenge of the dollars. Hmm. So any thoughts before we actually dive into the to the story itself, Patrick? Well, the story, uh, it's a story where Carl has a lot of room in it. You know, the, the plot is fairly simple, but he like sort of has time with the characters. He sort of develops characters more than he probably does in any other story. And I think that uh, maybe that's one of the reasons it's so beloved is because there's so much detail about Scrooge and so much, there's so much going on that's like uh, one character to the other, just, you know, you kind of learn the most about the characters with, with them speaking in this story. So it's a loose story. It's a it's a story where he had a lot of room and he, he used it, you know, rather than have a lot of plot, he did a lot of talking with the characters. It's my thoughts on it. Yeah. So the last the last story we did was very taut and you know it didn't have much space and it was like very precise and there it's, was like you said they're complementary stories yeah i think that's a good point right this one seems like it has a lot of room to breathe you it know does. and and it's it's very much this like journey right it takes place mm-hmm. over a span of time really really interesting characterization about scrooge and donald um even the beagle and the boys beagles too, certain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they have time to express themselves in, in this one and this is a real quantum leap for the Beagle Boys, right? Because this mm-hmm. is their first like appearance as full-fledged characters. We even get to see their father. Yeah, that's right. All right, Patrick. I- I'm so excited for this. As as always, I'm going to characterize the action on these stories and, and we'll accelerate a little bit here and there because it's a 32-pager, yep. but I expect sure. you to um, give me some great insights as, <laughs> as, as we <laughs> as we pause. Man, you know, right off the bat, on, on mm-hmm. page one, he uses this really cool device where he, he starts this out as like a conversation between him as the narrator and mm-hmm. the reader. And it's such a great way to draw in and engage us because he asks us, he, he says, if you had a fortune of umpteen centrifugillion dollars, what would you do with it? And we, we just hit the ground running yep. because he tells us and he shows us that Uncle Scrooge, who has that much money, chooses to do this. And we launch into that legendary bit. Tell us, Patrick, what it is that Scrooge does with his money. Well, he likes to dive around in it like a porpoise. We see him doing exactly that, springing out of the money and heading back into it. 
And he also likes to burrow through it like a gopher. And he likes to toss it up and let it hit him on the head. We see him doing that. His nephew, Donald Duck, thinks the old boy is slightly money struck. You see Scrooge in the background going, blubbity, blub, blub, blub. And I toss it up and let it hit me on the head. It's like just the most classic Scrooge thing ever. And, and that comes back to that you know, over and over again in the course of Scrooge's. You never forget it. And it's, you know, you see it from time to time. I'm doing it. It's quite wonderful. It is wonderful. And it's so iconic. And, mm-hmm. and it's such a great thing to play towards kids, right? Because money is so abstract for kids. What would you do with a lot of it? Well, you would buy a lot of fun things or you might play with it, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's a real kid thing to do. You know, it's like maybe if you were a kid and you really didn't know too much about money, it's something you would do with it. And so Scrooge references that he's just invited Donald over. And the reason that he's invited his nephew over and what we're going to see over the course of the next couple of pages is because he wants to extol the virtues of having this kind of fortune and the joys and pleasures that it brings him. And this is such a great sequence, Patrick, because there are these two actions that are happening at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. He is telling Donald about this, and he's being constantly undermined by essentially the the things that can go wrong with having right. this kind of fortune and the things yes. that bring him stress and so yeah. yeah he keeps saying how wonderful it is but at the same time he's under all this stress from having the money in the first place right and he keeps getting interrupted first by a moth which he he shoots out of the air with an old blunderbuss and then by a rat which distracts mm-hmm. him as it you know, gets caught in the trap and he's he's talking about how the moth could have chewed up a ton of his money and the rat could have done the same. He gets interrupted by having to spray a spider that might trip his burglar alarm. All problems we wish we had. Right, right, exactly. Before we leave this first page, look at how beautiful this page is laid out. You know, the, obviously the first panel is wonderful with that circle, simple circle with a title in it. Mm-hmm. And, and Scrooge and the money bin, the, the big scene's wonderful. But look at the bottom, the two black, the placement of the blacks on the bottom of the page. If you owned that page, it would be beautiful on the wall because just how it's, it's just a wonderfully drawn page. One of his best opening pages, I think. And basically it's, the design is fairly simple but it has a lot of detail, but it's like a fairly simple, straightforward, beautifully placed blocks. I just love yeah. this page. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm so glad yeah. to have you on to be able to talk about. I love this it when is what people pick their own. You know, if I could pick a page, this would be a contender for sure. It's such a wow. Oh, yeah. Thank you for talking about your expertise. And you're right. Yeah. And, and listeners, we are we are a podcast. We're an auditory medium, <laughs> and we're going to commit the cardinal sin of just telling you about how beautiful <laughs> this is because it really is. And and if you love Carl Barks, you you know this story backwards and forwards. They'll be following along with us with their cop for sure i just love this accelerating action over these first three pages you know mm-hmm. as he's talking to donald and and having yes. be undermined and eventually and so as scrooge is really getting to his point and trying to hammer it home he's distracted by the sound of construction going on on the vacant lot nice. next door and he's instantly upset about this because he tells donald that this could be a blind for the biggest robbery in history. He points out that, you know, if someone builds a building right up against his wall, um, they could they could punch holes and, and drain out his money. And we get a little call out to the title of the story as he starts to sob and say, oh, woe is me. I'll be a poor old man. His expression there is priceless. Some, some great, great expressive art in this. Yeah, um, and so Donald 
Donald goes down because he, he wants to. It. No, he doesn't. He's going to uh, reassure his Uncle Scrooge. But as soon as he gets to that construction, he knows that Scrooge is right to worry because he sees the Beagle Boys busy at work building a, a deep cellar for their building. And he's and, pretty well got them down now, the Beagle Boys. He knows what they should look like and about their numbers and they're different from each other. And they're, you know, they're full-fledged Beagles at this point. Yeah, exactly. We've got, I always we've thought, got them. I always thought the Beagles had like a, a very 1940s, 50s kind of feel about them. You know, you don't see people dressed like this anymore. You don't see people wear these like sweatshirts like this. They're like, you know, they're like out of prison. They don't have much money. They're like, you know, always broke. The only thing they're missing is cigarettes. <laughs> right. And and I talked some in the beginning how Barks is like lionizing his version of Scrooge as someone who made his wealth like uh-huh. on his own. And this is like the opposite, right? Because the Beagle yep. Boys are this nameless, faceless. To me, they're almost a stand-in for like bureaucracy, right? Because Beagle Boys Incorporated, mm-hmm. I think that's one of Barks's biases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so when Donald returns to the office, he he does alarm him by telling him it's the Beagle Boys. And and Scrooge is like at his breaking point. The terrible Beagle Boys. The terrible Beagle Boys. Yeah. And when he goes to to threaten the Beagle Boys with his blunderbuss, you know, they're able to, one of them sees him coming and uses his construction equipment to clamp on his shotgun, telling him, basically signaling that they are ahead of him. Right. They've they've got him. They've got yes. a great scheme going. I've always, and this always, is, I've always liked how in, the, in this one panel here after he gets his gun messed up. Oh, how much trouble can a man have? Most of us who followed in Barks's footsteps call them ducks like they refer them to themselves as ducks. But, but Carl had this way of calling them men. You know, he'd be a, he was a man. He wasn't just a duck. The world's richest man is what that's right. Calling and that's like a really interesting thing. If you think about it, it's like uh, not many not many artists and writers call them do that. They mostly call them ducks. But Carl thought of them as people. He really just went ahead with that whole concept. Absolutely. And we, the readers, were happy to go along with yeah. him. And so this really does trigger this spiral in him, right? Because he's got mm-hmm. this terrible uh, scheme going on next door and there's yep. a moth back and he can't even shoot at it. And and he's just frantic so at he this point. It out. Yeah. And oh, man, it's such a great panel and it's so, it's It's really affecting to me because Donald has this conversation after Scrooge has clearly collapsed out of like exhaustion and stress. And and his conversation basically goes like this, come come over and help me take care of Uncle Scrooge. He's caved in and he asks them to bring the old tightwad a sandwich because he probably hasn't had time to eat for a week. And there's such a great dynamic between Donald and Scrooge in this one, Patrick, right? Because because they're both basically, there's this argument in the background, um, the whole story over who who's right, mm-hmm. right? Because Scrooge has his philosophy and, and he mm-hmm. thinks that what he's doing is the right way and is going to bring him satisfaction. Donald clearly doesn't think so. It's interesting to me to think about, you know, which of those men is right. Yeah. This, of course, leads us into the Scrooge telling about his past as he's recovering. Yeah. And and he recovers. He He's recovering in the money bin, right? Yeah, that great That's a long shot of the inside of the money bin. Yeah. And every shot in the bin is just so, so wonderfully drawn. And I just love, I love seeing Huey, Dewey, and Louie enter at this point. And they're 
sitting at his feet while he is kind of convalescing. And it's it's that great opportunity for them to be the avatar for us, the reader, and to hear Uncle Scrooge tell the story of how he made his money. And this must have just fired the imagination of the kids who were who were reading it. Oh, sure. Uh, and and Patrick, I'm going to ask you to summarize some of the ways that he tells them that um, that he made his money and and tell us about, you know, he. this is where he's going to give us his philosophy as well. Sure. Well, the kids ask him if he made his money in the banking business. And he says, banking, snort. I made it on the seas and in the mines and in the cattle wars of the old frontier. He says, I made it that famous line. I made it being, by being tougher than the toughies, and smarter than the smarties, and I made it square. And that expression on his face is extremely memorable. It's kind of like firmly through his glasses. He looks very, uh, he really knows what he's talking about. Yeah, those, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Those, okay. those two, those two speech balloons—they're almost poetry. You know how he yeah. sums it up, and yeah, that he contrast. Really, he could really cut to the quick with with writing. You know, he, he knew how, just how to do it. It was he would keep it simple, but at the same point, he would say it in a way that no one else could say it. It's wonderful. Tell us about some of the great flashback panels where he talks, where we we get these little tastes of of him yes. in his empire building. Yep, yep. We have we have this panel first of all where he's. Uh, I, froze my fingers to the bone, digging nuggets out of the creeks. And I brought a fortune out instead of spending it in the honky-tonks. And this, of course, is uh, going to lead in the next issue in, into a much bigger uh, bigger story about uh, his time in the Klondike. We see Dawson gambling place. And he's got a big bag of gold. He's not going into the casinos or anything like that. He's going to, no doubt, put it in the bank. He's got a pistol on his hip. He looks very serious. Did it himself. So iconic. And we've got, you know, we've got little references to his copper days. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a Punching reference. Punching cows in Montana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all all of these great American um, experiences where where people struck either did or didn't strike it rich mm -hmm. by their own hard work, right? That's yeah. the contrast that he's set up. That's why he scoffs at did he make his money banking, right? And he sums it up by saying, you know, you'd love your money too, boys, if you got it the way I did by thinking a little harder than the other guy by jumping a little quicker. And he's clearly mm -hmm. feeling better. You know, he's refreshed yes. because he's just recounted how he made this money. So now, now it's really all of the Bark stories going forward are not about how he made his money. They're going to be about how he mm -hmm. kept his money. Yep. And so he is set to take on the Beagle Boys. Yes, he's prepared now. What a great perspective shot of him standing tall. Mm -hmm. And so Scrooge realizes that he's going to have to move his money. You know, I kind of glossed over the fact that we're not on Killmotor Hill for this story. For the purpose of this one, he needs to kind of be in that old McDuck office building with its vacant lot. Mm -hmm. And and so he's got to get his money away from this situation. And he's clearly come up with a really great plan and he starts to recruit all of the ducks to do their part oh and he references that he's going to fool the beagle boys the way he fooled the brigands of mongolia years ago so he's just tossing these little breadcrumbs about about this incredible globe trotting like yes. history spanning adventure that he says, he must i have. feel like my old self again like the scrooge that gummed up the james boys and outfoxed the daltons gets <laughs> such a great he taste does get around yeah. yeah and so the the nephews track down that the beagle boys are dumping their dirt for their foundation in an old reservoir and scrooge makes plans to buy that up and at night they scrooge and donald take some time 
uh, chiseling into his bin and constructing a certain mechanism. And we're going to learn on the next page what that mechanism is. And, gonna and learn, you know, we're going to learn how nervy Scrooge is too. That takes a lot of nerve to do what he's going to do. It really does. It's such a great scheme what he does here. It, it falls apart under a little bit of scrutiny, but in the logic of the comic books, this works perfectly, I think, Patrick. Yep, so t- tell us what, what that scheme is. He builds a chute into the side of the money bin. and He notices that the trucks that Beagle Boys are driving stop before they come and get dirt put into them. And he puts the chute right where the truck is so that the chute opens up and dumps a bunch of his money into the back of the truck. And then they, Beagle Boys, not seeing it, just dump dirt on top of it, take the dirt to the reservoir and dump it in. So they're moving Scrooge's money for him without knowing it. Absolutely. It's pretty it, funny. It is. It's great. Yeah. And and we accept it as readers because it's so poetic and it's so perfect. You know, yes. they're, he's recruited the Beagle Boys to help him yes. to save his own money from <laughs> How many them. times down the road will Scrooge do something similar again? You know, like the, the rats with the gold, uh, the gold corn in another story. And there's like a right. whole bunch of, this is leads to like almost like a, uh, to almost like a history of uh, in various places that hides it from in all these different sorts of places. So it's like a theme that theme that continues onward through the run of Uncle Scrooge. Yeah. And, and so we transition for a little while to the Beagle Boys perspective, which is perfect. You know, we mm-hmm. see a funny reference to them boggling at how long it's taking them to empty that little cellar yeah. full of dirt, dumping it into the reservoir. And then we see their great moment where they're going to anticipate busting into the bin. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we get to see them get skunked you know they they open it up and it's totally empty that down the road in the future too we get to see that again like various ways that they're foiled and get covered with like syrup and different things that again future stories that's right he's gonna first time yeah that's right it happens to and he's gonna have to raise the stakes like you said by coating them with castor oil or whatever yeah and so castor oil boys that's right. I remember that's right. And so we transition now to the reservoir, which is where we're going to spend uh, pretty much the rest of the story, which is yep. which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a cool setting. And I didn't know until doing the some background research for this that Barks actually modeled this reservoir and the dam mm-hmm. after one that was built by a millionaire, a financier. Yeah. It was a guy named William Whittier who founded the Telm of, I don't know if it's Hemet or Hemet, um, right near Bark's own San Jacinto, where he hmm. lived. And so that that's what he had in mind, apparently. Hmm. But anyway, the the ducks, there's there's this great sort of building action where the ducks are going to um, set up some defenses. You know, they hook up some booby traps and some landmines around the around the lake, which yes. it works in cartoon <laughs> logic. It's horrible if you think about it too hard. Yes. Well, it um, helps give them away too. Yeah. 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 Beagle Boy notices it. And so um, Scrooge, you know, he initially is feeling pretty good about his situation. He's so got his money. Flaw, one little flaw in his his plan yeah there's definitely a few here but so he goes to dredge to screen some of his money out of the mud and he admires it for a little while but then then he sinks back into this turmoil of stress again worrying about his money because he's like well what what can i do with it now right if i spread it on the banks people are gonna see Mm -hmm. it uh, but i need to let it dry i can't let the greenbacks stay down there too long or they'll rot and so we get this neat little solution where he again thinks back to his time as someone building his fortune what what does he land at patrick 
Yeah, remembers that the Spanish had put the, their papers and things on ships, like in bottles, and when they got wet, they would stay dry. So he puts his greenbacks in jars to sink them in the, into the reservoir. Right, and and this is something that he recollected from his time as a treasure hunter. Yeah, and we have really the Spanish made right, yeah. and we haven't gotten a lot of treasure hunting in the previous comics, you know. But that's going to really accelerate going forward. And yep. and so we transition. We do a little time jump to all of this activity, all of his money being safely sunk under the reservoir. And and again, he's initially satisfied, but he sighs to his his nephews that there is something lacking. And he tells them that, of course, he misses his daily money swim. And and this ends up being that like fatal flaw, right? Yep. Yep. The uh, Beagle Boys are uh, sad, about to give up. They can't uh, can't figure out what the heck happened to the money. It's just disappeared as far as they can see. So one of them decides to go fishing. As th- as things would have it just as uh, Scrooge is uh, swimming in his money. He's dredged up a pile of money. So that's bad news. Exactly. So yeah, he hasn't been able to resist it. And so he's a slave to his, uh, his need to swim around mm-hmm. in the money. I love the little like commiserating scene with the Beagle Boys. They're all so moping. sad. Yeah. yeah so all, sad. all moping around. And that Beagle boy who who heads out to go fishing. For some reason, I imagine that he's the same one that loves prunes. Yes, I was uh, thinking the same thing. Yeah. But but he his great expression when he sees that little mound of money that Scrooge mm-hmm. has uh, has dredged up to swim on. I love it. Yeah. And he runs down the tree that he climbed. And so um, while the Beagle Boy goes, presumably to tell his uh, brothers about their great new opportunity, um, Scrooge is again back to feeling feeling calm. And he um, he decides that, you know, the money is safe at this point. He can go ahead and settle up with his nephews. I think mm-hmm. I mentioned, I forgot to mention rather that he had put them on his payroll at his uh, one of his typical miserly rates. I can't, I don't yes. think it was 30 cents. Was it? Do you remember how I much an remember. hour in this one? It must've been a long time because he owes them 80 bucks now. Yeah. The text <laughs> tell him. Wages. Yeah. $80. And and Scrooge just freaks out, right? This is going to be one of those common themes where Scrooge is is too miserly to pay his nephews yes. the the wages they deserve. And he comes up with a funny little scheme here, Patrick. You want to tell yeah. us about his his scheme to delay the inevitable? Yes, he gives them little purses on the ends of ends of fishing rods and tells them they can keep whatever they hook on their on their lines. But he doesn't tell them that they're at the penny end of the uh, reservoir where the pennies are kept. And interestingly, this is uh, his little these little fishing poles with the purses. That was the subject of, uh, you get to see that like on the cover and in the Barks' paintings, particular scene of them fishing for the money. For yeah, the exactly. Yeah. This is going to be part cool. of that iconic yeah. we, and we didn't really mention at the outset how incredibly iconic the the cover with it's Scrooge a wonderful and Donald. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so wonderful. it's so great. Very very best. As the ducks are fishing for their wages, we hear from the tree line a chorus of beagle boys asking, "Can we go fishing too?" And again, Uncle Scrooge breaks out in terror that the Beagle Boys have have tracked him down. I always thought it was a little odd that, you know, the way they announce themselves from a distance and how he can hear them. But, uh, but you know, it, it's it's necessary, I guess, for the rhythm of the story. Yeah, I think it was kind of cool. And so, Patrick, we're, we're entering sort of the, the new, a, a distinctly new part of the story. The battle. The battle. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It is a battle. It's going to be this great, frantic, stressful, and very exciting sort of sort of war that's going to happen in these phases. As Scrooge, you know, immediately says, hold on, nephews, I can't let you go now. Obviously, the beagles are going to come after me. A couple of the boys sardonically sing a little bit from the song once more around on the merry-go-round. And they start to figure out, you know, there's this this kind of introductory scene where um, the battle kind of takes shape. The, the boys bring Scrooge the paper, which gives him the news that the Beagle Boys have bought all the land down the creek from him. Part of why we like Scrooge in this is that we he's he's very sharp. He knows what this yes. means. They're going to try to break his dam. And yep. we get this. You want to tell us about that lovely panel that establishes a, the yeah, geography? Long panel at the bottom of the page showing the dam upstream and then down below we see the uh, below the dam is a little stream that goes it's blocked off and the, the lush uh, bottom land now belongs to the beagle boys so we know it nicely sets the scene of like what's to come it really does part of why this battle i think works so well is because we have a really good idea of the little like the micro geography, geography of yeah. it yeah mm-hmm. and and what barks does here in, in this next sequence is something that he does in a lot of his best stories is he kind of gives you this outline, right? Because he he says in a narrator box what their first attack is going to be. Mm-hmm. And and he's going to um he's going to essentially label each one each yes. time, which gives it this really nice structure that I think is very mm-hmm. comforting for the readers. Do you want to tell us about that first attack? Patrick. Well, each of the attacks are like a cute gag kind of thing, you know, like an unlikely thing to happen. And the beagles send a um, sort of a piece of glass up, round glass with attached pipe with two balloons in it. The sun basically goes through the glass and starts burning a hole in the, uh, the, the dam. And we've got a great, uh, I imagine it's another of his Boer War era surplus cannons. He has Donald fire a cannonball through the lens to end that that scheme. Yeah. And on the next page, you know, we see the second scheme. And this one's a little bit morbid. One of the nephews was was (laughs) fishing and he caught a fish that was attempting to jump through the sluice, the water gate. And as Scrooge is chiding him for fishing, he points out that this fish is a little different. This fish ticks. ticks. Looks like a carp. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and my stars. The Beagle Boys have loaded them with a bomb. Tick, tick, tick. That's right. They throw it just in time and save the fish. Yeah. Narrowly saving the fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happens almost simultaneous with another scheme where they're sending trained cormorants to dive down and steal bits of money. And Scrooge thinks they'll never get rich that way. There's a dirtier scheme afoot. Right. And this is so funny because um, the, the escalating of this is, is that some of them are carrying napalm bombs. Yeah. <laughs> and, yes. and what does Scrooge do to respond? Naturally, he, uh, he I know Cormorant language. I trained thousands of them when I was in the pearl trade in Asia. So he says, tweak, jabber, quack. Honk, honk, and he has them turn around and go back to the beagles and drop them on them. There's all these gags based on like jobs that he's had, like ways, where places he's traveled to, things he knows. He's so wise from his years of doing various right. things. 
Right. It's, really it's his experience. Yes, his um, experience. Working for him. And and we get a great little sight gag of the Beagles, quote, uh, rubbing their burnt spots. Yes. Um, and the and one of the Beagle boys announces they need to get going to plan four. So plan we can, four. We can track these. And again, Scrooge is sharp as attack. As soon as he sees some gathering clouds, he um, instructs his nephews what to do. And he he has them run a lightning, place a lightning rod and run a cable towards the beagles. And, and as the beagles seed the clouds and cause lightning to strike, he's able to divert the lightning yes. so that Shocks it fries one of the beagles. Yeah. <laughs> um, that old fox, he's outsmarts us at every turn, they say. Yeah. And then on... This is the great part of the story. This is the part I remember when I was seven years old, for sure. Yeah. Starting to you... at this point. Tell, tell us about this uh, yeah. this great sequence then. Yes. So they've perfected plan five, their secret weapon. They've got a little flag running over their laboratory saying it's perfect. And in the lab, uh, these are the new super species I developed. They look like beetles. Yes, they look like beetles, but ha, once we get them into old Scrooge's hands, his dam is doomed. And they're not really beetles at all. They're beetles that look like termites or act like termites. That's right. And I like it when we get these, um, I like these occasional smart beagle boys. Mm -hmm. Yes, I like it too, whenever they have like clever plans that actually could work. Right. And so they they manage to sucker Scrooge by planting a story in the paper all about the dangers that termites pose to wooden dams. And he Mm -hmm. falls for it hook, line and sinker. Yes. And as Donald walks off, you know, this, this is one of those goofy cartoon logic bits that it really works within the structure of the story. But um, we've got a couple of Beagle Boys running essentially a stand in disguise, selling a great new bug that destroys termites. (laughs) Well, isn't this handy, says Donald? And it sure is. Yeah. And, and, and it's so like a Scrooge, huge, it's like a huge bottle. Bottle that the termites in is just like this huge, like uh, five quart, old fashioned, right. like canning jar full of these, packed full of these beetles. He said, I'll buy the whole bunch. And so, you know, once he gets back with that bottle, the, the predictable thing happens. You know, they see them boring <laughs> into the timbers. I remember laughing, like really enjoying the gag where. Scrooge is looking closely at the bugs because they're eating the wood. And he says, hey, they're eating wood. Are they supposed to do that? He's starting to look worried. That's like a great funny guy. And and the beagles have uh, acted like the beagles do, right? They're they're smirking about outsmarting him because they've planted a note at the bottom that, yes. that laughs, that uh, makes fun of him for falling for it. And mm-hmm. he, he gets off a great little, I've been swoggled. I, I think people need to use the word swoggled more. It's a great word. I almost never hear it without horn, right? I've been yes. horn swoggled. And, and this is, you know, contrary to the earlier part of the story where it, it takes place, it seems like over a couple of weeks. This is over mm-hmm. the course of a day now, this battle. It's like live time kind of a yeah. kind of deal for the most and, part. Yeah. And it goes into the night, right? And and I think that adds to some of the like tension. Yeah, it yeah. adds to the tension a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like really build, you know. The, the, the beagles, when they're they're so evil in the last couple pages, you know, they're like really, really bad, the beagles. And that night scene when they're bulldozing and spreading basins all through the sloughs, like below and they're on their land and, 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 and Scrooge and Donald and the kids are trying to save somehow save the dam but it's like obviously hopeless you know the timbers are like sieves 
Yeah. And spraying it, bug juice in there and it's just spraying Donald in the face because it's coming out the holes. It's a terrible situation. This was so right. memorable. It, it yeah. is memorable because it is obviously hopeless, right? Yes. And these two camps, these rival camps are, are yeah. preparing for the inevitable, basically. Yes. yes. One of my very favorite panels from the story is when Scrooge like is cutting logs and he's going to try to replace the new with new braces and faster than the termites can cut the old ones. And he holds the brace up to the dam and they, they're the bugs are eating it so fast that uh, they just gnaw the end of his log off right there and says, nope, I guess it's only wishful thinking. Yeah. yeah. And, and termites are increasing. They have families every four minutes. So it's like bad. Right. It feels so frantic. And and it's it makes it understandable why Scrooge essentially gives up when the inevitable is about to happen. He's just worn out. He is. He's worn out. He's exhausted. And the page where the dam actually bursts, it, it's mm-hmm. one that you really have to kind of stop and savor because it's so it's so dramatic and it's such yeah. a great payoff. We know what's going to happen. We know yep. the dam's going to break. The ducks are forced to like flee for their lives. They have yeah. to pull and the, and Scrooge. The beagles, and just before it breaks, there's like a quiet moment as the, the beagles stand there and they're like, like distant thunder, isn't it? Or firecrackers on the 4th of July and they're watching the dam and they're like half a mile away just watching from down below. And yeah, this this particular panel, that last panel was the panel that really stunned me as a kid. And I did. I just stopped and read it. And I went and ate or got something, left the book. And then I came back again and just stared at the panel when I came back. I remember specifically that moment of time. It's almost it like such too a, much. Yeah. And I remember, I remember this story really well as if like... This seems so real, you know, the, the dam breaking up a panel. And yet the ducks are like so simple and they're like so obviously unreal. And somehow Carl, one of Carl's great skills was being able to bridge that simple ducks, the way they look, but we're using like more adult language and like, you know, like more involved plots and being able to get away with a panel like this. It's super, a super complex and realistic panel. And I remember I was reading like uh, at that time I was reading Batman story or uh, Superman stories by Wayne Boring stories from dc and i remember thinking like wow this, you know somehow the duck books are more more feel more real than the superman stories yet the superman stories are about like people that look like people and it was like one of the things about uh, that really i felt made the duck stuff so much more readable to me panels like this just like bridged the gap between being a fantasy thing with ducks and being like super real and how can you pull that off you know, bridging those two worlds pretty cool absolutely very well said this this scene is just so spectacular right it is uh, as the and that panel is is gorgeous. There's no characters in it, no. but um, think about how how long it took him to draw all those coins and all that pulsing water. The water is wonderfully drawn. The way it like shoots off the the big uh, braces that are left that are near you, like foreground, it's just wonderful. Yeah, wonderful sense of motion and and great motion as we transition to the um, the flood spreading yes. into the beagles land mm-hmm. yep yep roll and, them dollars down and the, when the money settles the beagles are making this reference to the flood enriching their yeah. soil <laughs> and and that's going to be really key right because it's it's a little explanation that that barks is going to give for why this right. has worked because donald donald points out you know what's the problem we've still got laws and scrooge reveals that you know according to the laws of floods and debris that money now belongs to the beagle boys they just have to go to court and claim the money as silt deposited on their (laughs) land by the flood yeah 
And I love that because That's like a great, great explanation. It's a great explanation. It's it's ridiculous, and yet it seems so but logical the kind way of like that finding he, a ship on the ocean that no one's owned. You know, it's like washed away and shores now. Right. And he's gonna use other um goofy laws like this. He's gonna yeah. he's gonna do such a great job in the future of justifying mm-hmm. uh his plots, you know, and just good. a couple of issues with the golden helmet. He's gonna yes. create that that very realistic interpretation of the charter yep yep and and so scrooge is is sitting around despairing the loss of his fortune while the beagle boys are are gloating and celebrating Mm -hmm. and we've got this really great extended kind of pacing where he's just verbalizing his frustrations he's just he he's he's criticizing himself as an old man a poor old man that just remembers the old tricks. And we get this utterly masterful panel where he transitions into a remembrance of a, of a time in Baghdad. And he trails off and suddenly you sense a little bit of energy in his step. And he tells the ducks, we're going to go down and congratulate my new rich neighbors. Mm-hmm. And I I love that that realization. You as the reader yep. can see that little spark of something mm-hmm. that he's thought of, and and the nephews are sensing it too. Where one of them kind of sotto voce says he's up to something. Yep. The panels there were so simple. You know, just this. Whenever Scrooge is saying yes, I remember the old tricks like that time in Baghdad. There's nothing but Scrooge's head. And compare that to the back up a page and look at the look at the dam breaking page. And that's in the same comic book story. And it's hard to believe that the two panels are so close together. And yet, and, it, and the reason that it works is because Scrooge is taken so seriously and like he, his thought process and what he has to say is like, uh, you know, it's like a real person saying it. It's not like it's a comic character. So you can get away with it somehow. You know, it's a really tricky thing to do that in order to make that much big of a change in the drawing from a really simple style that's comic to a really realistic style and get away with it. Like, it's just, it's just amazing that he could pull that off. Definitely. I'm I'm dwelling on these panels here for a long time because they're so affecting to me. They're so mournful. They're so elegiac. This is about him being able to like take time in the story because here he's doing it's like take it's all like character building kind of stuff and it's character building for the future, not just for this story. It's like. You can just feel that Carl's building this character up for future stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and every one of his expressions does yep. such a great job. Yeah, anyway, so... So the Beagles. Yeah, right. So they one do. One of them they, says, have we better go to town and foul, foul that claim on the money? Yeah, but wait, here comes old Scrooge. Let's see what's on his mind. They want to rub it in. Yeah. Yeah. Boys, I have came to offer my best regards. You outsmarted me and did it fair. You mean you ain't mad at us? Certainly not. I admire brains. And you boys have got him. This so is just such a he's great really setup. He's got something going on here. Right. I had brains too in the old days, but now I've got a head like a soft tomato. This because you know what he's thinking here when he's saying that. Yeah. Right. Right. This is a nice little uh, lead up. Um, and it's important that he says that, right? It's important uh-huh. to set us up for the payoff. And, yeah. and this is all Scrooge lulling the Beagle Boys, sweet-talking them into granting him one little favor. He's so sad in the next panel. Could you find it in your hearts to grant a poor old man one little favor? And look at his face. He's so yeah. innocent looking. Tears are dripping off his beak. Well, maybe. Just that I'd like to have one last swim in this money before you haul it away. You swam in that stuff? They didn't even know about that. Every right. day for years, it's the only pleasure I ever had. 
well, if that ain't one for the book, go ahead, right ahead. So he dives in, he zips right into the money. And they're like, if I didn't see it, I wouldn't believe it. Watch how I dive around it like a porpoise. So we're back to page one you know, with his, his diving thing. And see how I burrow through it like a gopher and let it toss it up and let it hit me on the head. Say, that looks like it'd be fun, says the, says the beagle. Oh. So he's got him now. He's got him hooked. I love how, I love how Scrooge lures the beagles in. Yeah. I love how, I love their reaction too, to watching uh-huh. him and just like, initially boggling yeah. at him and what he's able to do. And it's, he does such a great job of reeling them in because yeah. he tells yeah. them. It is. It's your money now. Why don't you dive into it and learn how to enjoy it? The old boy's got something there. Last one in's an honest man. So they all dive in at the same time and smack their heads on the hard money with a crack sound. And look at Scrooge's face in the next panel. How it's... odd. The big old boy's bounced like it hit a solid wall. And feel those heads like soft tomatoes. We're back to the soft tomato thing. They'll be unconscious for weeks, months. And to think it happened before they could get their court and claim my money. Tisk tisk. So the kids ask him, uh, Uncle Scrooge, how come you dived all the way down and didn't get hurt? We never do figure out. We never are told. Like through the whole course of one of the things you never find out is how Scrooge can do that. He says, well, I admit it's a trick. What kind of trick could it possibly be? That's what I want to know. <laughs> right. What, what do you think? Are you okay with that little bit of hand waving? Patrick. Yeah, I think that it doesn't matter at all. There isn't any answer, but and I think it's good that he didn't try to come up with one. I agree. Better, you know, I, a story. Whenever you're creating something like this, you always want to leave some things unanswered, and that makes you think about it yourself. That there must be more to it than you know. You know, J.R. Tolkien with uh, the Lord of the Rings, a lot of the background stuff was never told. He never learned about things, but yet you felt like it was real and it was more behind the world than, than you read about. And this is the same kind of a deal. Like, right. You know, Scrooge has got some trick we don't know. I, I think there's a little bit of danger in and going in and explaining too much, right? Yeah. Um sure. because like some of the superhero prequel movies, when they when they go in and they they True. overly yeah. focus on some of these details, it, it takes away a little bit of the mystery. And and you know, like I love um Rose's life and time story. Like I really do, but but every now and then I'm like, oh, maybe we didn't need every little detail explained in this. Well, this is one thing that we never find out from Carl. And, At least and I, you know, I've never, he, never heard it. He he talked a little bit about this. He said, um, he said that I don't explain how he does it because I don't understand it myself. Perhaps oh, it I, has, never, I never realized he said that. I, never heard I, that I found this quote <laughs> just today. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps he said it has something to do with his character. Often he can do things which other people can't. He can go out in the desert and smell the presence of gold. So, you know, why, why explain it? He can't. It, it's just an ineffable thing. Yes. I, Patrick, this scene is so funny to me. The way that the beagles get yes, lulled really... in and they dive off in, in perfect unison. Uh-huh. And not one of them thinks that this might be a trick. No. And and that call back to their heads feeling like soft tomatoes. And, and we never, you know, before we've never seen anyone else try to do it. I've never before this happened. This is the first time this has ever seen anyone else try. So it's like a surprise for the reader too. You don't really know what's going to happen. Right. And it's important to establish that it's it's special to Scrooge. That it's not just like yeah. a, a cartoon thing that people in this world right. can do. So we transition, you know, pretty quickly. We don't need to see all the business of them hiring bulldozers and getting it back transition to the last page of the story where we wrap Mm -hmm. things up so beautifully and it's perfect because we we go right back into that interrupted conversation that donald and scrooge Mm -hmm. were having at the beginning the beginning 
where Scrooge is telling him, you know, I, I still haven't found the time to tell you what a comfort you'd get out of a fortune like mine. And Donald has just finally had it up to here. Mm -hmm. You know, he's 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 kind of like been patient up till now, but he gets off what for me is a really memorable line. He says, mm -hmm. if you've got comfort, I'll take vanilla. Shut up yeah. and pay off. And he kicks him right in the rough. Yeah. And and that's when he delivers, you know, the, the stinger of a line. He tells him, you may not know it, Uncle Scrooge, but your billions are a pain in the neck. You're only a poor old man. Goodbye. Yep. You got that great expression of Scrooge just standing there. You don't know exactly what he's thinking. You're wondering whether he's like, he's thinking like maybe Donald's right. It's not explained to you. You just have to come to your own conclusion. Right. And he's well, like, bah, kid talk. No man is poor who can do what he likes to do once in a while. And then you get the back for the third time we get to see the, and I like to dive around with my money like a porpoise and burrow through it like a gopher and toss it up and let it hit me on the head. So at the end, he's happy, you know, he he's is. Like perfectly happy doing his thing. And, and these last five panels are, they really hit so hard, you know, yeah, that they're, they're amazing. That first panel you mentioned that he looks haunted and it's kind of up to the reader to, to determine. Yeah. I really do read it as a little moment of self-awareness, you know, yeah. or my, doubt, my read, my read is that for, for just a moment, he, he's thinking maybe Donald's right. You know, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe this is more of a burden, but then he really does shake it off pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and there's a, a, you know, a sort of truth that he's going at there that, mm -hmm. that no man is poor who can do what he likes to do once in a while. And, and here mm -hmm. he is, he ends it enjoying his money on his own terms, not, not for the richness, the, the riches that, that they are, but, but more about what they represent. Yeah. And and so what what do you think? Do you think do you think Donald is is more right? Do you think Scrooge has it right? I think that the moral of the story is do whatever you it takes to make yourself happy. That's my take on it. It's very simple. It's not like a little complicated. So neither of them is right, depending on how how happy they are. Right. Because because Donald kind of follows his own philosophy. I mean, mm -hmm. generally doing nothing is what makes Donald yeah. happy. And right. so this is the opposite and, of happiness. And it gets him, it gets him into trouble a lot, just like Scrooge is often upset about things going after his money. So both of them have times of happiness and times of anguish in about equal measure, I think. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good way to to sum it up. You know, ne neither yeah. is really right, but or both are right. But that but would it's just such, be my take. Yeah, I like that. It's such an affecting ending because Scrooge looks so haunted there for a moment, and, and then he yeah. really does look so content. And it's and a so it's happy. a it's a round story that comes back to the beginning, you know, sort of thing to where we start. Yeah, and the best of his stories, I think, did a that. Of, a lot of novels, a lot of things, just in general. That's an ending that's usually very satisfying. And I like that book. you mentioned that it's the third time that he references his famous mm -hmm. um, yes. dive around in it like a porpoise and burrow mm -hmm. through it like a gopher and he toss knew he it had up. A good thing. A good thing going there. You know? It is. Knew he, this was like perfect. He does that. He follows that rule of three. Oh, usually it's mm -hmm. right. It's usually it's for the the comedy buildup, but in in this case, it's for the emotional. He does impact. it. He does it a lot of times, just in general, like like uh, like in the fireman story when Donald's a fireman 
Yeah. There's that business with uh, lucky, 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 lucky. lucky. Yeah. yeah. And three is just a really good number to do things like that. Boy, I have so many thoughts now that we've mm. actually talked about the story. I, I got to synthesize them all. What What are you What are you thinking about reflecting on this story right now? Well, it's got wonderful moments, like the moment with Scrooge, you know, this on this page, the, the moment where Scrooge is like considering whether Donald's right or not. It's got a lot of that sort of thing going on, in, you know, where Scrooge is reflecting on his life, he's reflecting on his past, on like things that he's accomplished on on how he's overcome things like through the story in the past and he brings it to today and, he, and applies them to like the present so it's an older person's story a person who's older who's like uh thinking about the past and how it affects their life today kind of a thing i think you know, it's that's like, that's, a, that's a really approach. good yeah. sorry that's a really good point right this is an older person's story right and he's, and he's 52 carl at this point so he's like at the peak of his career probably and you know he's probably at least considering like that you know like he's at the, like at the peak of his career because he's got his own book now you know he's like successful and he's like learned from his craft and he's putting things he's learned in the past into this story kind of thing and and you wonder how much he identified like writing for an older character because scrooge is clearly supposed to be older than him um yeah. but he's no spring chicken at this point right mm-hmm. yeah and he's I think has, he identifies with him yeah. I, I agree i think he really identifies with scrooge you talked about you talked about the, uh, this a lot of scrooge's stuff being in the west you know, he's got that whole California, go to California, make your fortune vibe about him. And that's where Carl was from. So Carl could identify with that aspect of Scrooge too. And Carl was, uh, grew up working in various jobs, you know, like hardworking job. I'm sure that when Carl was younger, he, you know, he wielded some pickaxes and some shovels and did things just like how Scrooge is portrayed as being a hardworking person. So, so Carl went through that too. I think he right. related a lot lot those ways and of course carl was tight the buck just like scrooge you know carl famously did i ever tell you this story carl uh, when carl would actually take his pencils and he would write cb on a piece of tape and tape it to his pencils because people would run off with them so and he would his comic books everyone knows that he had his labels and stamp on on his comic books and his personal file copies saying this belongs to carl barks so carl was was like scrooge in a lot of ways he really was you know he was like made lists of everything he had lists of all of his stories and all of his accounting of everything was just so 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 carl you know he was like he had very scrooge like traits about him and he knew it it was great that is great that's awesome thanks for sharing that i've got one of his pencils one of oh. his number two pencils and it's got what a piece a tr- of, from his estate and it's just a regular number two pencil it's like half worn out on the top of it you're below the eraser is a piece of piece of a masking tape and it's a cb what a great what a great random little treasure that's it's a wonderful awesome. thing yeah oh. so one of the things kicking around my head as I read this, you know, I, I was thinking a lot about the age of, of his protagonist in this one and how, how he must have identified with it. I was also thinking unavoidably almost about Citizen Kane, you know, uh-huh. like it's, it's, it's kind of a cliche, right? Uh, like, but it's impossible to avoid. And, and to me, these first two Scrooge stories, both this one and Back to the Klondike together, they, they mm-hmm. almost feel like a certain version version of Citizen Kane because mm-hmm. it's this is Karl Barks masterpiece along mm-hmm. with Back to the Klondike there are a couple of his very best regarded stories and they concern the the story of this great man this great fantastically wealthy man and him kind of reflecting on his life and where he where he came from 
Mm-hmm. I don't sure. necessarily have any great insight on that. I don't know that Barks was ever like specifically influenced by Citizen Kane, but it's so deeply ingrained, I think, in, in yeah. American pop culture that how could yeah, he not have been? The difference in the in Citizen Kane and in the tale of Scrooge is Scrooge is basically happy yeah doing what he does where citizen kane's very miserable right like kane himself is like he's like very miserable through most of his life most of his decisions even though he's got all this money and all this power it seems like the more money and the more power he has the more miserable he is he's happiest when he has nothing but his sled absolutely well, scrooge scrooge somehow overcomes this scrooge is very seldom really miserable as long as he's got the money to dive in like a porpoise and birth who like go for a toss-up and hit himself in the head with it he's pretty much happy right because he never really um gives away any of his rosebuds each of those coins is is a rosebud yeah (laughs) yeah basically (laughs) and and i like i like how in these early stories he makes it clear that um and i believe he does it in this one you know that he he goes out of his way to say that the the coins themselves are special because of the memories that he evokes yeah he knows each one apparently pretty much right right which is you know a, a crazy ability it's it's a little bit supernatural but that's that's how he is he knows exactly where that big giant jar of dimes is at in the bottom of his money that's right i also i i don't want to overlook how great of a story this is for donald too mm-hmm. and and the fact that while this is a showcase for scrooge it's not called scrooge mcduck right mm-hmm. this is called uncle scrooge this is still anchored very much around donald and donald is yeah. always part of this like conversation and, and the debate e- even though it is definitely a scrooge story yeah we sort of get a further development of donald in this story like his perspective as being the nephew of this guy so you get to see him usually you see donald as sort of being the caretaker of huey dewey and louie and in this one you get to see another facet of his personality and i think that the um the little scenes with him at the beginning and and mm-hmm. also in the beginning of the next issue where he's just kind of looking at his uncle in like bemused wry acknowledgement of, of what a character he is it's it's just about donald at his best i like the mm-hmm. blowhard donald i like the angry flustered donald but there mm-hmm. is something about a donald that is just kind of like you see that little gleam in his eye at the beginning um mm-hmm. he 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 really knows he's really kind of got his uncle's number uh yeah. in, in a, in a certain true. way here and yeah. and he he doesn't really want to be in the position his uncle is in. You know, he does, right. he's not built for it, I guess. You know, he's he doesn't have that uh, hardworking mentality. And he would rather just like sit, sit back with a cup of iced tea and enjoy the day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What, yeah. what a great, I, I definitely think that this is a masterpiece. You know, this yeah, is universal. No yeah. it's, it's a universal acclaim, right? I don't mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would say, there are a lot of people who argue this is his best of all time. It's definitely up there. It's always got to be in the conversation. Certainly, certainly could be a, a, his best story. Hard and, to argue it's not. Right. And if you take a look on Index, you know, that is where it lands. It's not quite voted the number one story of all time. Um, mm-hmm. This one generally ranks at number four. Really? Mm-hmm. It usually falls... An index is like it's 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 open to voting all the time, right? So these right, so rankings do change, but yeah. there have been enough votes that over the years I haven't seen those really the top top tier. They don't move around mm-hmm. as much, so it's yeah. generally back to the Klondike, Tralala, 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what's third? Oh, the golden helmet. And then this one is generally yeah. the, the sequence, but they're all grouped close enough together sure. to kind of all be his Yeah, There's a difference between liking the story the best and thinking it's his best story too. Like I think craft wise, this could be his best story. You know, although I wouldn't pick it as my favorite of his stories, which is a different right. thing. I, I like Tralala as my personal favorite, but I might pick this as being his best crafted story because it really is very original, you know, because of the fact that he created Scrooge and it's his story. It's not him taking the Donald and doing something different with him. He's created his character and it's all his own. And, you know, the whole the whole business is Carl's. Just Definitely. on the basis of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to argue with the results, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to spin dozens more stories out of this. Scrooge mm-hmm. is going to be featured in a lot of other media. He's going to become a very recognized character. He's going to become a beloved mm-hmm. Disney character. There's, there's a limited number of people who can say that they've created an iconic Disney character. Yes, that's true. It's going to get him into the uh, Disney Hall of Fame, <laughs> I think, maybe in one yeah. of its inaugural years if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and also, also this story has the benefit of coming in early 52, where later on he's, his art starts to get stiffer, like his inking. Like just in another year, it's noticeably stiffer. And this is still at the point where I would say it's like in that period of the 10 pages, like dozen 10 pages, this is right at the end of this. It falls into that period along with uh, Christmas for Shacktown. Those are right. both beautifully drawn stories. This is a key part of, of his golden age. Yeah. Um, so Certainly. yeah, the community loves it. I, I mentioned that it's ranked number four. The the actual vote is 8.8 out of 10 on index. So almost everyone is is giving either a nine or a 10. Yeah. Um, it's it's so timeless too. And there's very little that doesn't work in a contemporary context, which is nice. Yeah. There's not there's yeah, not it doesn't really seem anything old fashioned at all. You know, it doesn't yeah. have a moment in it that's not uh, relatable and just wonderfully. You can understand that it gets to the point. It's like universal universal story right and and i do like to talk about appearances in other media you mentioned that there have been some wonderful lithographs made of this one i think he did three in total he did three oils like yeah i think right. he did three oils. Or four oils excuse me mm-hmm. yeah, yeah he did he did one that um is a version of the cover he did uh, a great one with the the evocative title "Damn Disaster at Money Lake" with the mm-hmm. ducks looking on, and then um, a recreation of that great scene as he walks through uh, Old Dawson. Oh, and then one of the I think there um, might be three oils of the cover. Just about, I think there's more than one. Yeah, yeah I think you're there's right. He did, yeah, he did he, different we versions, did one and then everybody else wanted one too. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, and I think it several times. Yeah, he was high in high demand for those commissions. I know. Um, and then one of his great diving through money uh, poses. I guess that is a, a mm-hmm. totally separate fourth, you know, yeah, iteration. Done several of those, I would, I would think. Right. Yeah. I think one of them is based on that great first mm-hmm. panel. You mentioned that, you know, never, never gotten off the ground animated movie. That would have been mm-hmm. something to see. You know, yeah. the, the DuckTales shows did cover this this one, not in a way that I really find satisfying. There was like a five-part kind of mini movie that the first one mm-hmm. did called Liquid Assets, uh-huh. which had... Um, it was kind of a take on this and it had like Gizmo Duck and Fenton, Fenton Crackshell as Gizmo Duck mm-hmm. protecting it and uh, his money and like inadvertently dumping it in the lake. I, I enjoy the DuckTales episodes, mm-hmm. but 
I don't think, I feel like if you're going to cover a story like this, you got to really try and do it better justice. Yeah, I would um, imagine that the animated film would have been wonderful, you know, because he would have oh. written the whole thing and he would have probably storyboarded it for them too. Yeah, absolutely. He, he did at one point, you know, this was his job in the late 30s there. So he could have done that justice. And I always feel like Disney missed out on a real opportunity when you consider how popular the stories are outside of America. You know, I, I feel like if they had done something like that, that, that it could have been massive and it could have been really enduring. Oh, sure. Could have been. But there's a lot of could have been's, right? If they had done yeah. that, uh, if they'd ever timing. done if that would, epic. If, if he would have written the screenplay and pitched it to them three years earlier, probably would have gotten there. That's right. Or or Epic Donald, if that had ever gotten off the ground, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh well. And and the second DuckTales covered covered his line, his iconic line in one of the first mm-hmm. couple of episodes, although they yeah. didn't do like a, a story on this. But um mm-hmm. but yeah, this is this one. This this has just inspired so many duck artists. Do you yep. do you feel like this one would directly inspired you, or is it just kind of oh, a body? Sure. <laughs> no, this is a story that inspired everyone that's that's probably drawn Scrooge at one point or another. I think you know it's like uh, it's got so much stuff in it that is uh, I think virtually everything that Scrooge would ever be is in this story. Basically, yes, that mm-hmm. that is the the line of the podcast, right? Everything I wrote about that down. I read that just now. <laughs> I had it at the start. I had it. I had it. Nice. (laughs) It's true, though. Everything that we know about Scrooge is right here in this story. Mm -hmm. He he is going to be telling this story um, and he's going to be telling the stories that come out of this story for the next decade. Story ideas are pulled from this story by Carl. Just like probably there's probably easily a dozen Scrooge stories that are here that are retold, you know, like various ways that he fooled the beagles by moving his money and then opening up an empty bin or a bin with other stuff. And he did that several times and various ways that he tried to disguise his money from the beagles by cutting it into his gold into corn and different items like that. And that all stems back to the story and the beagles, various ways of being inventors and trying to come up with ways of capturing the money the way they do here with the termites, you know, it's it's like something. You know what it's like? It's, it's like a a touring musician doing the greatest hits, right? You gotta. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like he got, got a good idea and then he turned it into other songs, you know, it's like, yeah. And they're different enough. You know, the, the amazing thing is that they're different enough that they're excellent stories down the road. You don't feel like he's repeating it. You have to look for the look for it in the story to find it. Right. For sure. Because, you know, in lesser hands, it would be copied, it would be boring, but the, the later stories are not. They're, they're, they come across as fresh because he just took the seed of the idea from this story and turned it into something more, something more, I guess. Yep. Yeah, I think, I, I like to think that we've done this story some justice here. Do you? It's, um, it's big shoes to fill to, to, to really account, you know, how good this story is to describe yeah. it. But we did it. We gave it a good shot. That's right. Any uh, any other thoughts about this classic? Oh, you know what? I I don't want to miss. I I do. There's there's a ton of them to consider. But are there any panels that you'd really like to highlight as far as favorites? Well, by far the, my favorite panel, as I mentioned before, is the one the one with the uh, dam breaking. It's obvious. You know, it's an obvious thing. But it was such an impactful panel for me. It's probably the most impactful single panel of any bark story that i can remember as a kid being impacted by i mean i can actually remember that moment which is an amazing thing to remember where you were at what was happening you know what i remember coming back to this you know stopping reading it right here going to get something to eat and then coming back and staring at this this giant panel with the dam breaking 
for like a long time, probably like 15 minutes, <laughs> 20 minutes, just looking at this page. It's like, wow. And I remember turning back page and reading again the, the business with the termites eating the brace and coming back to this again. It was like amazing. It was a revelation. No doubt it, it affected my uh, work down the road. Because it is. Yeah, be that affected by something and not have it have it come back. It, it is a gorgeous panel, and it's the obvious choice that I've got to make, yeah. too. I I really like all of the little kind of haunted Scrooge yeah, the Scrooge, there's a lot of single panels of Scrooge reacting to things here that are just wonderful. Through right. The story. And, and then all of those little flashback panels that yeah, show the classics, what the classic he did. Things. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah, they're so great cool. because they tell mm-hmm. it's such sparse storytelling because I, I could imagine so much out of yeah. each one of those panels yeah, about panel, his past. The, the panel from Dawson, you know, where he's got the bag on his, how many art, artists have revisited that, you know, almost most of us who draw the ducks have, have at some point drawn something like that young Scrooge with short, with the short whiskers and carrying the bag of money and the, you know, just how tough he was and how just a wonderful, it's all in one panel. You know, Carl himself probably was inspired by his own panel for the next story. Yeah. You know, don't you think that he, he saw this panel, he looked at it again and says, wow, I could write a whole story about this and I probably will. <laughs> Absolutely. I've, I've yeah. got to imagine that as he was yeah. writing this story, you know, his synapses were firing. Okay. Just I know where the next story is going to be. He probably all of the, yeah. <laughs> all of those possibilities. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I love how sentimental and nostalgic these couple of early stories are going to be. Yeah, that's true. Excellent. Well, uh, once again, Patrick, thank you so much for joining me. I, I'm Pleasure really grateful. Oh. Yeah, I had a great time. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I hope listeners enjoyed it. And I hope they'll come back to listen to the next episode, which will cover another all-time gla- classic, The Golden Helmet. But, um, you know, these days... These episodes are covering his golden period, so you're pretty safe. Yeah, it's it's an embarrassment (laughs) of riches right now. It is. (laughs) Thanks again, Patrick. Yep, thanks for having me.